just because a person presents differently from a physical perspective doesn't mean they can't be extremely successful in any profession. And that includes occupational health and safety. We'll talk with a health and safety entrepreneur who's beat the odds and is attempting to match safety professionals with organizations that actually need their services. That's next up on this episode of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. Safety at work is more than freedom from physical injury. To be safe, you have to feel safe. Join us each week as we discuss psychologically healthy and safe work in the USA. Welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. I'm your host, Dr. I. David Daniels, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Each week, we seek to increase awareness of the importance of psychological health and safety by learning from the lived experiences, research, and expertise of our guests, as well as advocating strategies to reduce harm and to ultimately minimize vulnerability to psychosocial hazards in the American workplace. So in this episode, I'm going to put myself in a somewhat uncomfortable place. It's not super uncomfortable, but it's a little bit different because I often find myself having conversations with folks. And again, I'll go particularly around issues of race in the country where if I'm a black person, there's a white person. I, I enjoy having conversations, but sometimes I feel like it might be a little uncomfortable for the other person. And I can just kind of go on and talk about my lived experience and all that type of stuff. Um, but it's also interesting for me to have conversations in areas that I I actually have privilege in, and, and it's I got you got to be honest about that. It, it, there are some things about my birth, about uh, my gender, about my status that do give me some form of privilege, and that's one of them. Today is the fact that uh, I live in a world that presumes that people have similar kinds of faculties that they can see and hear and uh, walk without assistance, and there's this long list of things. Interestingly, uh, we design systems from that perspective because, hey, if that's what I like, that's what I design. But there are circumstances where even well-intended systems create these kind of offshoots that we don't sometimes think about. And the one we're going to talk about today is ableism. And ableism is actually a set of beliefs or practices that unfortunately devalue and discriminate against people with physical, intellectual, intellectual, uh, psychiatric, other kinds of disabilities, and often rest on an assumption that disabled people need to be fixed in one form or another, which I don't necessarily believe. But like many other forms of systemic discrimination, ableism is often intertwined and is intertwined in our culture due to these, again, just beliefs that we have about the world. And again, we're going to talk about that in some other interesting topics with someone that I actually just met recently, a few months ago, had the opportunity to uh, be at a conference and uh, I was one of the speakers, he's one of the speakers, and we ended up at another kind of a social gathering having some discussion and I, I kind of like him. So I thought I'd invite, I kind of thought I'd kind of invite him here on the podcast and uh, all my guests, uh, we, we start off with this fairly simple question to me, but I don't know how complicated it is for you. So who is Michael Zhao? Uh, well, thank you, first and foremost. I felt the same way, David. I'm glad you invited me because our 
conversation at the uh, Campbell Institute dinner was really fun. I enjoyed it very much. And it was uncomfortable. And that was the kind of uncomfortable it should be. Um, so who am I? Well, um, first of all, I'm, uh, you know, I am what makes me the most proud. So I'm a father of two great kids who are um, doing well in their life. Uh, they're still young, but they're one's 14 and one is uh, 18. So they're still making their way through. And um, I'm a husband of 23 years and I am a, um, an entrepreneur and I like um, creating things that make a difference in this world. And uh, wasn't always that way. Uh, when early in my career, I just wanted to make money. Um, let's be honest. I wanted to be able to feed my family and have the things that the, the non, you know, the material things. But now I'm, I'm a person who um, enjoys the most out of um, feeling like I'm, I'm making a difference. And so, you know, that's Michael Zell. Um, I'm a horrible golfer and I'm a really bad comic and I'm uh, you know, a decent friend, I hope. So. Right on. Right on. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's get into the topic du jour, particularly for the, the podcast. So, when you hear the phrase, the set of words, psychological health and safety, what, is, what does that mean to you? A lot of things. Um, often misused. So I try to understand the context of the word psychological safety um, because often it is misused. It's, um, it's the same as... Uh, reinforcing safety values. People use, you know, do I have the, do I have the psychological or environmental safety uh, um, or the, the safety mindset and set culture to be able to say, see something, say something as they say in this industry, right? But then you also have the feeling of what is going to be the impact to me and to my career and to those around me if I say something um, that I'm seeing that's wrong, and it could be say it could be safety related, or it can just be morally related or ethically related, um, that's it's a big it's a big question because I don't think enough organizations we struggle with it, and I'm and I try very hard, but I think all organizations struggle with creating an environment that asks people to um, to feel comfortable in saying what they need to say. Um, Psychologically and emotionally. Yeah, saying what they what they need to say. I, I, the, the The words that we utter come from someplace. They they come out of us because they're in us. And uh, I'm sure, you know, you've had experiences. I know I have where I I, I, I look around the room or I look at the environment, and I, though I kind of want to be there. There's some things I, I feel like I have to check myself when I bring up this thing because maybe nobody else in the room noticed it or maybe nobody else is feeling the way I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's not always as comfortable. It's not always been as comfortable as I would have liked it. And thankfully, we're having more of, of this discussion. And, and, I, and I, had a, I had an experience. It's been some years ago. Uh, I was in a group and they split us up by by things that made us feel powerful. And there's a, there's a connection here. And, and the group that I went with was the fact that I'm male. Because in this country, not in all countries, but in this country, there is a bit of privilege that comes along with identifying and presenting 
as male mm-hmm. because yeah, it's there. It's kind of a male dominated society. Men created a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. it, yeah. not all good or bad, but yeah. but men were responsible for creating lots of things. But ultimately, our the things being created by men also come with liabilities that men have, and men mm-hmm. sometimes uh, you know believe their own press clippings and think they are more than they actually maybe. <laughs> And, and again, I think sometimes unintentionally create these systems that forget about people that are different from them. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and again, the, the, again, the topic, again, the topic t- today is around this concept of of ableism and how people have designed these places. We were talking, you know, when we talked last about the fact that there's assumptions around whether people are right or left-handed. Yeah, I do have some privilege based on the fact that I'm right-handed. I have a couple of my mom and a couple of sisters that are left-handed and that makes desks and all those type of things were designed by right-handed people. Sure. So share a little bit about your, your thoughts and experience around being in a world that you're being in an environment that is kind of ableist. And what does that have been like for you? So first and foremost, just for the people who don't know me and are listening, um, I was born without a right hand. And so it was a congenital birth defect Um, it was one of these things that I, you know, I was fortunate to be in an environment where my parents had resources and they could take me to various places. And (laughs) I actually got some prosthetics, which I threw away in the trash can when I was eight years old. I never liked my prosthetic, but, uh, that's a whole nother conversation for another day, but it was just clunky and awkward. And I didn't know why I needed it. I mean, I did everything I needed to do in my little head at eight, at eight years old that, I could do anything anybody else could do. So why are you making me wear this hook thing? It just wasn't, it wasn't who I was. And I guess that says a lot about me as a human being. Um, so giving some context there, that was my right hand. And so I'm left-handed um, by, um, by lack of choice. You got one hand, you use the one that you got. I think I would have actually ended up being right-handed uh, looking at some of the things in my uh, in my life, uh, being, you know, left brained and kicking with my right foot and some other things that go along with that. I think I probably would have ended up being right-handed. Um, that being said, I don't necessarily, you and I had this conversation. I don't necessarily fault organiz- businesses and in the industry for taking on the greatest market. Um, you know, when you're creating a company or you're creating a product, you first look at who your core market is and can you validate it? Can you justify it? Can you make something for that? And if if it's a market for right-handers, and the vast majority of society in America at the time that most things were being created were right-handed, then people like me who are left-handed and others are going to have those awkward things until somebody creates something for the lefties um, and sees that opportunity. And that you and I had this conversation around how there have been things in my life that um, I've adapted and there've been things in my life that I've had to, um, you know, figure out a different way of doing them. And some things that have never been invented, um, that I would have to get something custom made for me if I wanted to do something. And there are companies out there that do that, uh, and they provide that solution. Um, it's not always economical and it's not always available to everybody, unfortunately, but I don't, I think ableism is a challenging thing because on product, you have to look at the market. But when it comes to 
human beings and capabilities, I think that's where ableism really comes into play. And that's actually what mm. we're solving for at Yellowbird is we're trying to make sure that we have ac give access to people for their intellectual and other skills and capabilities, their talents, regardless of if they're in a wheelchair or if they're blind or if they are, um, you know, but there's also things, candidly, if somebody had to have a job that needed to full hands that could grip and lift equally without hurting themselves, I could not apply for that job. And that's okay. I, yes. I think that's all right. Um, because I couldn't do it safely. Right. And I shouldn't expect right. the company to, um, you know, be required to necessarily make something for me to do that particular task. You know, I so agree with you. <laughs> Because I, I think sometimes we can go a little far. And again, I'm as open-minded as the next person about giving people access. The yeah, but is no one can make everything that suits everybody all the time. I mean, it's just yeah. things do have, there are limitations. Oh, there are, I was not, I, so I went to a, <laughs> my high school that I went to, uh, just recently won its 16th men's basketball championship wow. at high school. Wow. And But I couldn't play basketball. I, I didn't have the skill. I wasn't the right height. I just, I wrestled. I mean, yeah. that worked for me. Yeah. So there was something available for me, but it wasn't going to be basketball. Right. It just wasn't going to be. Yeah. And that didn't make my school a bad place to go. Yeah. It just meant that everybody can't do everything. And the challenge is, as you said, some sometimes it's about realizing, you know, that there's got to be a match between whoever's doing this thing, whoever wants to do that thing, who, whoever makes something, who wants to buy it. It's simply finding the matches. And what I'd argue is sometimes, though the match might not be there, then we limit ourselves. Companies, organizations limit themselves, mm -hmm. and people limit themselves because they only do that particular thing. Right. And even after they get really good, they don't look for something else. They do this one thing. This is what we do. And after, you know, maybe the world changes, maybe there's a new market out there, but you won't go pursue it because it's never been done before. Right. But that's where some of the greatest innovation comes from is like, well, well, maybe we can do it. And of course it starts out, it costs a little bit more until you can mass produce it. Sure. That's okay. Mm -hmm. That's okay. It's Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a very healthy um, dialogue going on right now around DEI and expanding beyond just the, you know, uh, gender and race discussion and getting into all sorts of diversity and inclusion. And I think what's healthy about it is it's allowing folks to realize that they can talk about these things. And, you know, it's funny because I, there's a lady who passed away just recently. She was a, um, she was basically a disability. Um, her name was Judy, um, Oh, shoot. I can't remember Judy's last name. will come back to me. Um, but uh, so Judy was a advocate for the disabled communities, and she actually helped um, evangelize the importance of ADA and the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that if you, you know, now there's still people who don't comply to ADA, but and have and have issues. But over the last, you know, 30 years, there's been a heck of a lot of advancement in, in policies and regs to just allow for a proper width of a door and a ramp available for somebody to be able to be in a, in a mobility device or 
um, you know, the, you know, the bumps in the, um, in the walkways to make sure that somebody who's, uh, can't see feels the bumps and knows not to walk in the street. Right. I mean, there are things that fundamentally weren't even being talked about. And so this, this dialogue around these things is what eventually becomes change. And I, and I like the fact that we are having these discussions and yes, they're controversial at times. And yes, people say, you know, why, why is everything about DEI now? And why is everything about this? And the reality is it's not everything. It's just, um, when it's, when it's appropriate or if it should be. Yes. Yes. I can't, I can't say that, but at least in my conversations, I try to think it's when appropriate. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I, no, no doubt. No doubt. And, and, you know, the, the other thing I, you know, I'm really enthused about to just to, to, to meet folks who are starting to see that the conversation about diversity, equity, inclusion, access, belonging, all of that mm-hmm. is ultimately a safety conversation. It is. Absolutely. Because I cannot feel safe and will not feel safe in a situation where I, you didn't even think about me attending. <laughs> I wasn't even included. I mean, right. so you didn't build that for me. Sure. And, and, and frankly, rather than focusing on the fact and getting angry because they didn't think about me. Of course they didn't think. About, I don't, I, th- again, I consider myself to be pretty open-minded, but there's some things I've never considered it. I've never come across it. So yeah. of course I wouldn't think about it. The question is what happens when you show up? Yes. So when I meet Michael, yeah. And he says, well, I know you've never met anybody like me before, but have you considered X, Y, Z? That's the question. Right. That, that, that's, that's the question. Right. And, and what do I do then? Because we can't go back and change what I didn't know. The question is, what are you teaching me and what am I going to do with that? You know, you know it's funny. The, the pieces of being different in society, whatever that difference is, you can take many, many things from that, as you know. And, um, you know, I, I choose to focus on the kindnesses and the grace and the positivity that I see. Um, I also do acknowledge that I see some things that are pretty wrong and I do my best to make sure that those are pointed out and that I identify those as things that need areas of improvement and that we won't tolerate if it's in my company or anywhere else. But having that mindset of, of, graciousness. Like I can't tell you how many people have offered to help me over my lifetime. I'm very fortunate. And as a younger man, I was also very pig headed. And it's like, I don't need help. I, I'm good. You know, thank you. You know, but I'd say thank you with an edge. Right. I'd say thank you. Like, you know, thank you may have, may have had a, something else to you in the tone I was giving, uh, you know, <laughs> but it wasn't, it was just because of my insecurity. And, and now as you know, it's funny because I'm so past that being 47 and gray hair and, and, you know, getting old, longer in the tooth that when I'm on an air, on an airplane and there's an older lady who's coming along or an older person comes along who has to lift something up. I'm the first to get up and grab their suitcase and put it up in the overhead bin where most of my life, I was the one coming down. Somebody else got up to help me because they didn't think I could lift it up to the overhead bin. And now I've learned the things I can do and can't do. And then I give back where I can and, and do what I can do. But I also think that there are moments that you have the opportunity to, you know, be an example of, of what you want in this world. And actually at Yellowbird, what we're doing right now is in, 
and I know we didn't mention until, you know, I'm the founder of Yellowbird, which is a health and safety marketplace. So it's basically like a professional services Uber. So anybody who's a health or safety type of a person can register and then we match them with temporary or even longer term gigs. But this is an advertisement. I just want to give some context. But one of the things that we're doing at Yellowbird is, yes, we see people's backgrounds and yes, we see their resumes and their LinkedIn and they ask, answer some questions. How do you judge for people's intrinsic uh, personality? And um, can you test for people who, for their biases? Can you test for people's um, superpower and what they are really great at? Like, I'm, I'm a speaker. I know that about myself. I, I like to speak in front of groups. I'm, I'm good trainer, things like that. You put me as a document reviewer and my head will explode. It's just, not who I am. It's just right. you know, but I, I could have the same documentation and resume as an excellent document reviewer. And, but if you put me in there, I would fail where somebody else who was a perfect analytical writer, who's done this kind of thing is a better suit. So I spent a lot of time trying to think about how you solve for that. And it's a big, it's a big undertaking, but the other piece is some of the other biases that you have, um, you know, in life, uh, whether it be things that are cultural or whether it be things that are, um, you make the assumption that, well, I couldn't, I couldn't hire somebody with a disability, um, mm-hmm. for this job. And you're like, well, why? Well, you know, we don't have the budget to accommodate. Okay. Well, but do you know what accommodations that they require? And you start having these discussions and you say, well, this is a work from home virtual deal that's reviewing documentation. They're in front of their computer. They are knowledgeable. They're smart and they are educated and they very well can do this job. Oh, I didn't, I didn't think of it that way. I I thought it had to be in person. I thought they had to come here. And then I don't have the busing and I don't have the ramps and I don't have the, what, or whatever it is. Right. But these, this framework, this mental framework that people, you, everybody walks into a situation with their own baggage. I don't care who you are. We do. <laughs> everybody. We do. We uh, do. And so those are the things that Yelver were trying to solve for. And it's, it's a fascinating process. Uh, you can also go down a rabbit hole that will make, doesn't help anybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, but you, 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 again, you're, you're just causing me to think about so many things here. Uh, another example of a really kind of horrific thing called a pandemic that comes along mm-hmm. that, f- that, that forces us to do things and to consider things that we didn't consider before. But honestly, is it safer for a person with a mobility device to be in some kind of office environment where all they do is coming in and going to a desk anyway, <laughs> or to be in their home that is set up, it has everything that they need, which is actually safer for them. Now, of course, you know, people will make the argument, but people need to be able to interact with other people. Sure. You can still do that. I mean, people, I think sometimes we kind of conflate some of these issues and kind of mash them all together. But we have now learned over the last few years that people can do excellent work and not be in the same physical space. Yes. And it works fine. Yes. And it may, again, it may be safer for some than it even was before. I um I'm very fortunate to be an, um, so I'm an entrepreneur in residence for a, um, for an entrepreneurial program. And it's something that I, um, went through this entrepreneurial program about three years ago or so. And now I'm get to be the mentor, um, for these 
disability-owned businesses. Um, and they're, and as I always call it, as I say, they're great entrepreneurs. They have solved real problems. They're trying to solve real problems, and they happen to have a disability. Yes. And, and it's in that order. And that being said, um, some of the things that we're able to do today because the pandemic proved um, that it's possible was the barrier to accessibility and opportunity for people for years and years and years. Mm. And, you know, there are physical challenges that people have that honestly, they can't leave their homes very easily, you know, um, whether it be for personal, you know, personal uh, protective measures and whether they have some, um, you know, uh, the inability to be environments where they're around other germs and things like that, where they have that kind of a, of a factor, but we've opened through the, through the effect of COVID and all the badness that came along with that, with some of the good things that came along with that, it did show that, well, now that's a leveling level playing field. I have no idea, David, how tall you are. And most of the people, I mean, I happen to, because you and I met in person, but I say that to a lot of folks when I'm on the phone with them and I said, okay, well, when you're on the zoom with somebody, can you tell somebody six, four or they're five, three? Reality is you can't. And unless I'm asking you to get something off the top shelf, it doesn't matter. That's right. You know, and so, you know, a lot of these things that we thought were so important, um, it's been, it's been a leveler of playing fields in many ways. And it's also not been, um, there's also the, there's the other side of that, which is, you know, accessibility of, of just technology and, and the type of jobs where you can, you know, be virtual and, and those who can and those who can't. And, you know, there's COVID also brought out a lot of that stuff too. It did. It yeah. did. Yeah. Oh, well, just it, <laughs> I find that uh, disasters and emergencies really often make us more of what we already were. You know, <laughs> so if we are already creative and innovative, we just come up with more innovation. We, yeah, and that's how a lot of this happened. Yes. That's the, the, the businesses, the people, the enterprises, the activities that survived were the ones that were already that way to begin with. Because a lot, unfortunately, a lot of the people who lost their businesses, their relationships, their even their lives, they were already kind of tilted that way anyway, and it just kind of took them the rest of the way. I mean, to be honest, it wasn't. Yeah, in many, in many circumstances, I mean, it's, it's a pretty, it's a broad, it's a broad uh, uh, brush that we sweep there. But I will say there, there are, there are people who are, you know, basically bystanders who get swept and swept down with everybody else. Um, I there was a there there was a very good thriving restaurant in town that was in a location that wasn't really conducive to people's homes. It was near, it was near um, a lot of restaurants and other, uh, not restaurants, but it was a restaurant near a lot of buildings and corporate centers and industrial parks yes. and things like that. Yes. And that was a, they could do nothing. They could do nothing to save themselves because the reality is yes, you could do a delivery service as well as you can do it. You can do things like that. But if your entire model is based on, People going to the office every day and picking up, right. picking up their food and having delivery for lunches at the office, and you know that's you there. There's effect of that, but I will say, the thing that I found to be fascinating is how quick people can adapt when they need to, yes. and how all yes. the things that weren't possible became possible. 
mm-hmm. and how, um, you know, including my business. So we were, when the pandemic hit, we were only in Arizona. Um, we went into revenue as a company in January of 2020. So we had really? just built the business and opened up our doors January of 2020 in Arizona. And we were going to do, as they call it in software, basically product market fit. So you put it out to the market, you get a few customers, you see if you have a fit with their needs. You have to modify it, adjust it. Is your pricing right? Is your model right? Well, we had a ton of people that were out of work sign up across the country. And we had a big waiting list for professionals that said, hey, I'd be willing to consult or I'd be willing to help other companies uh, if you hear of anything. And you know, and so we said, well, okay, let's just open it up nationwide. Let's just see what happens. And we went from uh, 30 professionals on the platform in January of 2020 to over 5,000 in uh, 23. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, it was insane. Wow. It was insane. And wow. But I can tell you, I never would have grown that fast. We wouldn't have grown that fast if the pandemic didn't happen because. We were like, well, what do we have to lose? Because we are definitely not going to make our numbers uh, in Arizona right now. (laughs) And so let's just figure it out. And, Mm. you know, wow. Yeah, that was the that was the thing for us. Well, you know what they say in chaos, there's opportunity. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but here's here's the other thing I'll say, though. I still believe and this is probably more of a personal, you know, kind of. I, I, I live this kind of emergency preparedness kind of mindset most of the time. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. If you didn't have the foundation to grow into that and the mindset to right. grow into that, yeah. you still wouldn't have made it. Yes. Because if you you start and says, oh, you know, this is only Arizona. We can't do anything outside Arizona, and oh, we're just never going to make it. Right. You just circle the drain with the and some of that was the mindset. Yes. It said, hey, maybe we can do this. Faster than we planned, but let's let's try it. You see what I mean? It's that whole being prepared for that opportunity when it comes. So, and I think there were there were some that just really weren't prepared. And you know, and to your example, even of the restaurant, a, a lot of businesses start off under resourced, undercapitalized. Uh, they they yeah they they aren't prepared to be able to you know to go for you know X number of months without making any money, and and. And so the thing tips them over. That, that, that's why they. That, that's why it's so important that we try to find ways to prevent bad things from happening, which is you know, the kind of the safety mantra. You you nobody has enough resources to be prepared for everything, but yeah. there's some things you can do to be able to you know set yourself up so when that when the winds blow, you won't get knocked. You may get knocked sideways, but not knocked over. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And it's funny you should say that because. Going back to the ableism thing and the uh, dialogue, not thing, excuse me, but the ableism dialogue and the being born with differences, physical or, uh, you know, neurological or otherwise. The one thing that I will say there's, so this program that I'm part of that I mentioned with the entrepreneurs, um, you know, it's called Together International and Diego, who's this founder of this group, um, he has cerebral palsy and Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it's tough. Like he's, as he always says when he's giving his, as he does keynotes and so forth, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. And he says, you know, they always say, you know, it's not whether you fall down, it's whether you get back up. He goes, cerebral palsy has killed his balance. He goes, I've fallen thousands of times. 
And I have gotten back up thousands of times because that's my life and that's just what I do, physically falling. He said, but one of the things that you'll find with these entrepreneurs who are have disabilities, they are fighters and they will always get back up. They will always figure it out. And in entrepreneurism and in, in life, the ability to just not get embarrassed and not get let your ego stop you and not get those bad voices in your head saying, yeah, you can't do this, you know, and just saying, well, you know, I have, I'm, I have to use the restroom and so I'm going to get back up and I'm going to walk across there to use the restroom. <laughs> like I don't have a choice here. Like, you know, I don't want a situation, so I'm going to get back up. You know, that's just a life, uh, physical requirement. And when you grow up doing that, you become mm -hmm. something special. And mm -hmm. so it's people always say, Oh, it's so good that you're helping folks who are disadvantaged. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. I'm actually helping people find their advantage. And, you know, and I'm helping them realize that these skills that they've learned over their lifetime are going to come in, you know, come into practice real fast when you're an entrepreneur because you're constantly wow. here. Constantly. Wow. <laughs> Hi, listeners. Jason here. We hope you're enjoying this latest podcast episode. Now, if you're like Joelle, Alicia, and myself and enjoy learning from the best, then the Flourish DX Academy is for you. The Academy includes free e-learning courses on the ISO 45003 standard for psychological health and safety at work and associated topics such as how to conduct a psychosocial risk assessment and how to create the business case for psych health and safety. All courses feature high-quality videos, downloadable resources, multi-choice questions, and a downloadable training certificate on completion. Take your learning to the next level with all Flourish DX Academy courses included within the Flourish DX mobile app. Select podcast episodes from the Psych Health and Safety Podcast and sister podcasts from Canada and the USA are also included. Get started with Flourish DX for free at www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. That's www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. Now back to this episode. The business of safety and the safety business. And I, I think about that in my head. There are those of us, so... I think I'm in the business of safety. Okay. My business acumen is kind of shaky some days because I'm the public sector. <laughs> I'm a public sector guy most of my career. Yeah, yeah. Never really interested about making a, you know, making money and all that type of stuff. It's certainly important. Right. But and, and so it, it is really interesting to see somebody who's in the safety business. Right. And 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 and, and entrepreneur at that because a lot of the safety business with a lot of what I've seen is very traditional. Oh yes. Yeah. Again, because it tends to come from the traditional approach to what safety is and who does it and who, you know, who benefits from it and who doesn't. So, so talk a lot, talk a little bit about being a, uh, an entrepreneur in the safety space. Sure. Yeah, no, it's a great, thank you for asking about that. It's actually a really interesting point. I've had this, I've had this discussion with folks over the years um, because, you know, full disclosure, I don't have a background in being a safety practitioner. Personally, I have always been in the safety ecosystem. So um, as an example, your, um, your rep at Granger or Fastenal or Global Industrial or any of these places that are more than happy to sell you PPE or hard hats or spill pallets or you know, whatever it is that you require for your environmental health and safety programs, they're in the business of understanding the needs of the practitioner. 
they are not necessarily a practitioner. You know, some are, many are, you know, many have gone and done their education, gotten their certificates and so forth, but some are not. And doesn't make the products that they offer any less important and doesn't make them any less great at understanding how to help their, their market. I mean, do you have to be an industrial hygienist in order to sell a sampling kit for um, water sampling? No. I mean, if you know what your sampling kit is and you know how the industrial hygienist uses it, then you should be just fine. What I, but you're right. That is the business of safety versus being in the safety business. And so they are in the business of selling to the safety community, whether it be software or whether it be, um, whether it be product or whether it be uh, some kind of a, Uh, OSHA or EPA or other uh, book or guideline or whatever it is that folks do in the business in selling to the safety environment. Um, It's a, it's a noble and good thing. And you're helping people execute and there's nothing wrong with that. What I don't like though, is generally speaking in the safety practitioner business, um, the practitioners assume that if you have not done the job that you don't know how to serve them. (laughs) And, you know, and I think about that as an example, you know, I have a friend that works for Medtronics and Medtronics is a big manufacturer of scalpels and other um, surgical materials. And there's not a single person selling those that is a surgeon, because if you are a surgeon, you are not selling Medtronics scalpels. Trust me, you are you are saving lives and doing what you do. And but it doesn't make them any less qualified to do that. And so for me, what the way I look at this is I look for inefficiencies in our industry and I want to solve for inefficiencies. I think it is absolutely ridiculous how much we spend in the consulting world on per diems and air flights and travel in comparison to actually doing your job. Um, Just from a percentage perspective, if I had to do a 10 site survey and I was based in Texas, which I'm not, but if I was based in Texas and it was 10 sites at 10 different states, it could take me realistically 90 days of full-time travel and probably cost the, com- could the customer hundred plus thousand dollars, mostly in travel and expenses to do these surveys where you could have a local person use a platform like Yellowbird that goes out there and could do all 10 of those surveys tomorrow morning. And maybe it will cost two grand a location. So it's 20,000 versus a hundred and it gets done tomorrow. Mm. That's the kind of thing that for me, it's like, it just makes sense. And I don't have to be a practitioner to be able to tell somebody that makes sense. Right. You know? Right. And so it's interesting because I do find in this industry, there is a certain, um, there is a certain amount of ego and pride, but and pride. And, and I don't want to take that away from anybody. You, I mean, you, you are, you know, Dr. I, David Daniels, and you are a doctor and you have earned that and you've gone to school for a very long time. To get, and you know what? I would wear that with pride and, and you know, things that we do not because you have studied those things and there's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't mean that you should teach, you know, treat somebody who maybe isn't a doctor. Um, but anyway, anyway, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, There's also, uh, somebody told me this when I was probably, oh, I had to be somewhere between 12 and 14 years old, because I still still remember it. Uh, This woman told me, she said, 
the things that you don't know would make up an entirely new world. <laughs> it's so true. It's but so it's, true. it's that way for all of us. The things, sure. We all know things, but the things that we don't know, which is why it's so important to be open to other people with different views and different backgrounds and yeah. different. Well, you talked about what goes on in the safety community. Make me think about my early working life being in the fire rescue service. And there are people in the fire rescue service. If you if you've never been to a fire and never ridden on a truck and never treated, you can't tell us anything. Well, no, actually, you can tell me a lot of things. Sure, sure. You know, (laughs) you could tell me many, many, many things that I just don't know. And and the the question is, are we open to people? who have a different experience than us, but their experience actually is on the same road that we're on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exp- they just in a different vehicle. I'm in a truck, you're on a scooter, but we're on the same road. So why is it that I can't learn from the person who's walking on the sidewalk on the same road? They don't have to do it the same way I do it. They really don't. But can you help me? Of course you can. Of course. Absolutely. Of course you, can. Yeah. you know, it's funny. When I, when I started... Um, I told the story recently um, where actually I'll give you a little, I'm going to give you a, uh, uh, a scoop. So we just closed a venture capital round and it's going to be announced next week. Um, and it's a decent sized round and it's exciting. And we've got some very big players that are investing in us to grow our company and to grow our capabilities. So I'm very excited about that. But when I first came up with the idea of Yellowbird, this was before I even had my co-founder, Michelle Tinsley, uh, join me. I used to tell the story and it, um, and I'm going to modify it because it's a little offensive, the actual quote. Um, so and, and, to be honest, like, because I won't, I won't modify it, but I will let you know that I do find it to be a little offensive. So, but the quote is, there's an old native American saying that, um, that is when an elder dies, it's like burning a library. Hmm. And I always found that to be so impactful because we all know what it's like to have somebody who's been doing something in your company for a long time and they just have it like, Oh, we know you go talk to David. David knows that. Like, and then at some point David leaves or David yes. transitions or he's going to retire. Yes. And in this world, what mostly happens is people try to have David consult as a retired person. Sometimes he will, sometimes he won't. Um, but in my world, what I had thought about was I watched my father have this happen with him. He was in banking in the uh, in the 08 downturn. And, um, and in his world, he um, was at nearing retirement. He wasn't quite there yet, but he got retired, <laughs> um, you know, and he wanted to consult, but it was a 08 and there was no consulting to be had. And so he was fortunate. He had enough money saved and so forth. And he did retire. But I originally thought Yellowbird would be a vehicle for people in the EHS world to make themselves available on Flex, where I could do the insurance and I could do the billing and the receiving and the coordinating and all that stuff using technology, kind of like the Uber. But people do it on their own terms. But it all comes back to that whole saying of there's so much that we walk out the door with that we know that nobody else in the companies know. And then you're always playing catch up. And so mm-hmm. I thought, well, maybe we could make a, a vehicle for people to have access to that kind of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so it goes back to that whole thing. Of, 
embracing what you don't know is probably is more important than actually embracing what you do know. I agree. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Who who would have, who would have thunk it? (laughs) 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 Who, who, who would have thought that there would be, you know, this place. And, And again, the occupational health and safety, even as a profession, Mm-hmm. Is relatively new. I mean, people had been doing it for a while. Sure, but it was. It's for most people been kind of a side job. Well, you're the HR director and you do safety. You're the operations manager. You do safety. Not a lot of places uh, have really had people specifically focused. And you know that that a lot of that occurred. At least my opinion, because I haven't done the research on it, so I'm, sure. I'm rambling here. That's but. I, I anticipate a lot of that happened because the OSHAC passed and folks had to find people who knew a little bit more about that stuff. But that generation of folks who started in this business in the 70s and right. 80s, they can't stick around forever. They, they, they just can't. And behind them, you know, have come people who uh, I, I learned about safety early on in my career. Uh, and it was just, I was just fortunate that when I was hired with the Seattle Fire Department that the chief at the time said, you know, all of you all are going to wear your self-contained breathing apparatus because I'm the chief and I said so. But that helped me because the generation just before me was not told the same thing. And many of them have contracted cancer and all kinds of things. So, it a, so it's, it's been a part of my life. But now as I as I look to generations that are coming into the workforce now, I, I, I'm really concerned about, again, the whole issue of psychosocial hazards and, mm-hmm. and how people are feeling at work. Because a lot of the physical things, we've, we've worked some of those out, but we still have people that are in work situations that are uncomfortable, that are emotionally unsafe. Some are even creating mental health challenges for them. Some yeah. are even contributing to mental illness. It's just that bad, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and so I think that's that's I think that's where we are as a society. And we've got to just have a, a more open mind. To, I know we've done it that way before, but can we do that differently? You know you what? Know, can it's we? Such an interesting, it's such an interesting conversation. I'm enjoying this a lot because it does actually go back to what's the goal. And I often say that internally here because we have way more on our to do list than we will ever get done. I mean, that's the life of a tech startup. You have a product roadmap, as they call it, and these features and benefits. And I mean, you know, you're making hard technical decisions because you don't have enough coders. You never will. But do we want to do this feature first or this feature first? Because we can't do them both at the same time, right? And I always say, well, what's, what is the most important going to make the most impact for our customer fastest? And it goes back to this whole discussion around... Um, around creating systems that are going to make the most impact the fastest. And, you know, I'm a big believer that psychological safety as well as um, process and procedure, if done well and done appropriately, will not only save lives physically, but it will also help people um, avoid the burnout, avoid the pressure, avoid the, you know, Somebody once told me there are only so many hours in the day. That's right. So if you give somebody, you know, if you give somebody 40 hours worth of work and eight hours to do it, they are only going to get eight hours worth of work done. That's right. <laughs> Again, that's just 
That's right. It's it's an equation. And if those eight hours become six hours because your process and your procedures are too cumbersome, then it's not going to work. Right. So you need to figure out how to get a full eight hours while creating an environment that is um, efficient and safe. And you know what? If it's efficient and safe and people have their both psychological and physical safety taken care of, well, maybe they can get 8.2 hours out of the day because they, you know, were able to work in a more efficient manner. Right. Yeah. If you, if you really think about it, um, technology, so many psychosocial hazards can be solved by better systems and technology because mm-hmm. what is stressing the person out is I, I need to get this thing done. You've given me 40 hours of work or let me be more honest about it. You've yeah. given me actually about 60 hours of work and only 40 hours to get it done. Right. And so oh. the other 20 yes. follows me home on the weekends and at nights and I can't go to my kid's baseball game and so on and so forth because our systems are too plodding and too, they don't, they don't, they don't shift fast enough. And we've got the same guy and we can't, well, there's all these costs for travel and blah, 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 blah. There's this big system oh, yeah. that can actually be solved by technology and by just looking at things differently. Why are we looking at it the same way? Well, because we always have. Well, let's look at it different because the world continues to change. Right. Well, and, and, we just and, keep up and here's the interesting thing. So, you know, I'm going to be a little self-serving here being yellow bird, but I do want to talk about this because this is one of the things I'm trying to solve for constantly. And that is can you train the trainer to be 95% efficient? First of all, nobody will be as efficient as Dr. David Daniels because you have done the same thing for so long, but you can theoretically create a manual, create a process, educate somebody on how to execute and get them pretty darn close and a lot more economically viable Right. Instead of having you burn yourself out to that point, it's always a zero sum game. I right. don't have the staff to do this, or I do have the staff to do this. And it's like, wait a minute, but you have access to resources that can help you do it. Right. And why are we, you know, and then the argument is, well, they aren't going to do it to our standard and which fair, I, I, I would not disagree with that. What is your standard? How do we create systems to match that standard? <laughs> that's right. And can we get there close enough that you, your boss, and everybody else that's holding you to this 10 standard will accept a nine and be happy with it because it was done faster, more cost-effectively, and by people who um, could use the work? Well, I, yeah. I, I'll tell you, I, I'm one of those who, one of the first things I'm interested in is let's look at the standard. So who established that standard in the first place? And is it still even relevant anymore? <laughs> really? Maybe the, again, maybe the thing that you've been doing the same way because the guys who started this 30 years ago thought it was a way to do it. Right. Maybe there's actually another standard altogether that will get you better, quicker, faster, yeah. you know, uh, less, you know, l- less, less costly. Have you considered that? Because that's that's what bringing in sometimes these transient people who aren't who aren't, aren't there all the time. I I really enjoy consulting. Yes, because I can take what I've learned to people, but I don't have a the emotional you know connection to your success or failure one way or the other. I'm here to help you, mm-hmm. but it's not my issue; it's yours. Right. And and I, I can't make you do anything, 
uh, but I also don't have to stick around for years and watch you uh, not take my advice anyway. <laughs> there, there, there's that part. It gets, and for me, it's freeing to be able to. I, I work with people who want to do the thing that I'm good at. That's right. it. And if they don't, that's okay. But again, that's the advantage. I mean, the this this mindset that we're that we've had about employment, and we've told people, oh, you got to go to this company and work for them for thirty years. And well, the challenge is that they aren't going to give me thirty years worth of benefits. <laughs> that, no. I mean, you know, it's like pro sports. You know, when I get injured, I'm you know I'm probably not going to be on a team anymore. Mm-hmm. So what what platforms like Yellowbird do, and I'm doing a bit of advertising for you, I guess, but yeah, I appreciate uh, it. give me the opportunity to be, I don't have to stay at a particular place. I can move around. I can go over here. I can take my expertise where my expertise is actually going to be valued and important. And when it's over, I can move on to the next thing. And I, and I, I think there are a lot of people who would rather do that because they want to be free to go on vacation and, you yeah. know, take some time off and, you know, just kind of live a different kind of life rather than this robotic, you know, nine to five, so 40 it, hours. It's, funny. it's so funny you should say that. So I was talking to um, a gentleman who was responsible. He's a, he's a big time EHS director for a big company. And, you know, I explained to him, I said, you know, when you're going to do um, respirator fit testing, you should bring somebody specifically in for that. And when you're going to do forklift safety, you need to bring somebody and that person's likely not the same person. Those are right. two very, very different jobs. Skill sets. Um, they are. And if you want somebody to review your OSHA documentation or your pra- pr- best practices and processes and procedures and training, those are probably different people, each of those. And if you have access to that, I could, I could have Michael Jordan come in for the specific shot that I need you know what? But when I need to go up and down the court, I'd rather have Scottie Pippen that, that moves it up and down the court and sets up the Michael Jordan, right? But you can't afford that roster. Nobody can afford that roster. And so, you know, every other industry seems to have acknowledged this. Look, physicians, I mean, you have a GP, but that GP is quick to send you to a specialist if you've got some if you've got a specific issue. Lawyers, you've got a general counsel, but most general counsels have specialty counsel for things like trademarks or things like, you know, going to a specific uh, hearing or, you know, workman's comp or things to that effect. Every industry has specialists and will happy to call on them. And this industry is like, oh, no, I have a safety guy I call on. (laughs) That guy cannot possibly or gal, but cannot possibly have a working knowledge of Of everything, of everything. And, And if they're telling you that they do, they are not doing themselves or you a service, um, which is kind of how where Yellowbird came from. It's you go to these websites, and it's no offense to anybody because we all have to make a living. But you go on these websites and you see the services that are offered on some of these EHS consulting sites, and you're like, I know that's a one man show, and there's nothing wrong with that. But they can't possibly offer you those 700 things and know all of those that well. <laughs> they can't. Right. Like I, right. like I have. Right. I have over 5,000 professionals and I don't think we could do everything on that list. (laughs) Right. 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 So it's just, you know, but, but I'm also not, you know, trying to be insulting or poo poo them because reality is, is that they probably have a much deeper working knowledge of all, every one of those than the, than the average business person. So they can, they can do the consulting and do a good, decent job. 
and maybe call on their friends and call on their associates and go into the go into the Google machine and try and find somebody to help them, you know, <laughs> solve the problem. Um, I'm just my mission is to get the right people with the right skills available to people right. you know, that right. you actually know it. I'm tired yes. of people I'm tired of people BSing me. Yes. Yes. Know, that which happens a lot. Wow. wow. It's, it's just, it's, it's a great idea. It, it really is. And, and thank you. What's even a great idea. So as we, you know, wrap this conversation up a little bit, I, not only is it a good idea, but you seem to be a good guy. And the people that I've met from the company seem to be people who, and let's, again, I, I tend to be a little blunt about some of these things. <laughs> I want to help people be successful better that that come across as people who are there for what I believe to, to be a good reason. So yeah. safety really works. Some people do it because they've just got a passion for it. They ethically think it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. So be it. Yeah. Some people do it because it's, it's about economics. I mean, I can't yeah. afford to have this thing broken, this person hurt, that system. I just can't afford it. Right. And some people do it because they have to. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what their motivation is. It matters that they do it. And I'm not here to judge, right. I'm, I'm, but I'm really interested in people who have that first one. <laughs> yeah, me, and, you know, me, it, me too. And it's unfortunate because there were always a redheaded stepchild in the interviews. Yeah. People always think, you know, oh, it's a safety cop or, oh, you know, they're just trying to, they're going to bring, bring in the law. And it's like, no, that's not the intent. The intent is to create an environment that everybody, that you get home safely and didn't know that I had something to do with it. That I put a procedure in place that you couldn't put your hand into the saw. Right. You know, you're right. Like that machine, guard, that machine guard didn't just, you know, magically appear. I went through one day and saw, yeah, there's no machine guard. There's no guard there. And you're probably going to cut off a finger or two, right? We got to do something here. Right. And it, Unfortunately, like many of the things I've mentioned today, you know, legal or accounting or medical, people don't think about it until they have to think about it. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and I put our right. world in the same, unfortunately, in the same space until you've had an injury, until you've seen a dismemberment, till there's been a death. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it shouldn't be that way. It really it shouldn't. shouldn't. But it shouldn't. Well, yeah. Again, another one of those, you know, quotes I heard. I, a lot of these, I, I didn't come up with most of them. I just kind of repeat them when I hear one. Yeah, me like, too. But <laughs> they, they say you should do everything you can to learn from the mistakes of others because you can't live long enough to make them all yourself. It's <laughs> a great quote. I, I don't know where it came from, but that's a great quote. I like that a lot. You, you, you just can't. And I, I'm, I'm one of those. I don't, I'm not trying to experience everything. Right. I'm just not. I'm just, there's some things I'm not interested in experiencing whatever. But I'll listen to other people, and if it didn't work for them, yeah, maybe it won't work for me either. <laughs> right. You know what? There's maybe a lot just, to be said for that. There's a lot, which, by the way, is also the scariest thing about starting a company in an environment where everybody knows everybody else. Mm. You know, it's for for me. We I always say this to my team: we have to be better. We can't just be equal. We have to be yes. better. Yes. Because you know, and going back to the. And this is also unfortunate, but it goes back to the DEI discussion and the, you know, um, both being able-bodied as well as, you know, cultural and, and physical and other uh, DEI. Um, you shouldn't have to be better. You should have to be equal. Um, mm -hmm. And reality is, is you sometimes are better and don't get the opportunity to show it. 
Right. Right. Like that's right. where the thing comes in that somebody's right. bias, somebody's background, somebody's assumption. Like, again, I am a horrible basketball player and I can't get things off the top shelf because I am not Michael Jordan's height. But <laughs> uh, you put me in front of a microphone, I can say a few words. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, wh why don't we uh, give you an opportunity for those who have been listening? Uh, they've. Uh, Oh, yellow bird. I can't say yellow bird. What does that mean? Yeah. Uh, if they want to get up, folks want to get hold of you, want to learn more about, yeah. you know, about you, about your company, uh, do a little commercial for me, right? Right, right. Quickly. No problem. So uh, our website is goyellowbird.com. Go, stop or go. Goyellowbird.com, spelled exactly like it sounds. Yellowbird's name came from the canary in the coal mine. People ask that all the time. Uh, it was yellow for the color of safety and the hazards and things to that effect. So, Orange didn't work as well, and yellow was a good uh, yellow bird. Just really worked out just fine for us. Um, if you want to find out more, goyellowbird.com is a great place to go. And essentially, it takes about five to ten minutes to register. There's no cost to either side. If we match the right person with the right job, the the company pays. Um, it is it's not a premium because of the efficiency of our job, but you make a good wage. You're making your regular wage on Yellowbird. And that's a very important thing to, to dis discern because I don't want to take money out of the pockets of my professionals. Mm -hmm. And with Yellowbird, what we do is we provide five kinds of insurance. We are a disability-owned business enterprise. Um, and so you some of the customers take advantage of the DEI uh, vendor opportunity, which is like I said, we have to be better. And then you can take advantage of whatever you want, but we have to do something better. And then the final thing is, is that we represent the professional through the entire process, including paying them in 48 hours mm -hmm. and paying somebody that quickly, especially in the consulting world, when you're going out, um, some of our customers include, you know, big names like the Teslas of the world and Googles and others. And, and in that process, what that allows us to do is we carry that um, payment. And so that's one of the reasons why we are, exist is to get paid fast for our professionals. So. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the quick and dirty, but there's lots to talk about. But I'm I think that kind of gives everybody the impression of what Yellowbird is and why we do what we do. Wow. Well, Michael, thank thanks 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 for hanging out with me and chatting a little bit about both yourself and your company. Uh, I think folks are really going to enjoy this. Uh, for those of you who are listening, there's another opportunity for you to learn a little bit more about you know something that didn't exist five years ago. That certainly exists now and, and gives safety professionals a great opportunity. Uh, so I, I do appreciate each of you. We're, we're well over 1,300 subscribers uh, for the podcast now. Been at this. Uh, we're, we're getting close to a year. we got some really interesting things coming up in our next season. We're calling it our next season. That will start uh, actually next month, uh, next month from, uh, from when this uh, is is available to everyone. That'll be in July. We'll start a new season with just just some new some new ways and some new folks to talk with. And and uh, we want you to stick close to us so you can connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very active there. If you want to stay up with the podcast, become a subscriber. Please do either there on the LinkedIn page. For those of you who are watching us on YouTube, you know, do the like and subscribe. <laughs> Most yeah. people listen, some watch, and that's that's fine. You can go to our webpage uh, as well, psychhealthandsafetyusa.com. You can see all these episodes are out there. 
sometimes folks want to go back and just kind of listen in and uh, kind of catch up on some that they may have missed. But we're, we're happy that you're uh, a part of our community. And ultimately, we are looking uh, to help the workplace, regardless of what your workplace is, be free of psychosocial hazards. And where, where the hazards do exist, the ones that you can't eliminate, that people are prepared for them and that we can help help take care of people and help them recover after, because there's some things about work that are difficult. Yeah. Uh, there's some things about our businesses that are difficult. We, we realize that, but I want to have a community of people who can help each other. So, okay, Michael, thanks very much uh, for hanging out with me. Thank you. Uh, it's great. We, we've, we've got some other conversations we're going to be having offline. So yep. uh, get, get, get to have you as a, as a, as a part of the Psych Health and Safety USA family. So until next time, uh, we see you in the next episode of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. To stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in America, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the Flourish DX community at www.flourishdx.com.